Welcome to What Have We Learnt? Incidental Learnings by Interesting People. I'm Ben Punter. This episode is Alexandra Haddo, a very funny stand-up writer and podcaster. You can find her on Twitter. She's at Miss A. Haddo. Uh, you can see her on Monday evenings at the Vauxhall Comedy Club in Alex vs. Men, and also at the Dulwich Hamlet Comedy Club. And depending on when you're listening to this episode, on April the 11th, 2020, uh, Alex has organised the Indie Amnesty, which is taking place at the Bethnal Green Working Men's Club. Uh, in this episode, we talk about tickets being available, but as of the 5th of March 2020, t- uh, tickets have actually sold out with a limited number of tickets on the door on the night. And also, Alex is involved in the return of the School for Dumb Women podcast in its new home of Soho Radio. There's a link also in the description or on Twitter at Dumb Women Pod. All the links for all the above are in the description. Uh, thank you very much to the Owl and Pussycat Pub in Shoreditch for letting me use the whole of the upstairs function room when I was recording this episode. Uh, and also, little note, around 10 minutes in, you can hear children singing. And no, I do not know why. In this episode, we talk about stand-up, its origins, writing, London versus Edinburgh, hecklers, and much, much more. But we start talking about indie music and the indie amnesty event. This is What Have We Learnt with Alex Haddow. Alex, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm well. I'm. I was rushed, but now I'm calm. You good? Yes. Good. Um, first of all, before we get into the main hustle and bustle of stuff, can we talk about indie indie amnesty? Oh yes. Because um, this has been fascinating. It's insane, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, what happened was I used to go to a lot of indie nights. I'm from a small town in the Midlands, and I went to uni up north. Loads of my friends are from Manchester, and we always used to go to indie nights at home in Corby, where I'm from. And then when I moved up to Leeds, there was loads and it was a great scene about sort of 10, 15 years ago-ish. It was sort of like the second wave of Britpop because mm-hmm. we always used to listen to Britpop in those nights. Yeah. But then it was the newer bands coming through like Arctic Monkeys, Pigeon Detectives, Larrikin Love, Future mm. Heads, all that, all that stuff, Kasabian. Um, and for years I've been saying, oh, it's so annoying that there aren't any indie nights in London. You know, yeah. northern cities still seem to have them, even like Hull and York and everything. Um, so I just tweeted, if I put an indie night on and charged a fiver in and we all just pretended it was 2006 again, who yeah. would come? And it went mental, <laughs> like absolutely mental. And weirdly, I was working, I was helping my mate out who run, who used to run the indie nights at ho- back at home. Yeah. And he now runs a pub in Highgate. And I've sort of taken him out of retirement because I'm making him do a DJ set at my night. We need you for one night only, man. Yeah. One night only. Yeah, so I ended up, so I... Um, I hired out Bethnal Green Working Men's Club in the very, paid with my own money to hope that people would turn up. And it's, you know, it's almost sold out and it's not till April mm. the 11th. So if you want a ticket, get it fast, is what I'm trying to say. There are details in the description of this of this podcast. Yes, and please then, come. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Because um, it's been a discussion about with, with me and friends about exactly that, that there isn't really a good indie night anymore. Yeah. There are, there are they do exist, but they start at 11 and I'm like, yeah, I'm you don't like, want oh, that. I don't want that. I'm I want like, to go out and have my whole night. Yeah, and I'm yeah. Like, if you if you were 20 in 2002, you're now 38. Exactly. And 11 yeah. is like, oh, it starts at 11. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like, like, and even though we've got the option to have like things like the night bus or the night tube now, or you have Uber, you can afford it. But it's yeah. like, I don't want to start at 11. No, no, exactly. You'll all be you'll be too trashed. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I wanted it to be 
it just it shows how much people need that bit of nostalgia like everything's a mm. bit shit at the moment yeah and let's all pretend <laughs> i put in the description like let's pretend labor is still in power and i think that's like fired up about 20 tickets just in that in itself just having that sort of mentality that um that felt a bit very much slightly different although that is kind of part of nostalgia you always feel like the past yeah. was better but um yeah let's <laughs> I, I just think it's going to be a, a great night very carefree and everyone's going to have a fucking good time um and the, the stuff that me and friends always talk about we, we it always boils, boils down to when you was at uni what would have been the best years to go to uni to be a part of that scene yes and yeah it, we think we boiled it down to 2004 to 2008 yes it's the absolute perk absolute perfect time 2004 you have Coldplay, White Stripes—they're kind of—they're the big—they're the big names. Yeah. You've got the Libertines now coming through. You've got exactly. Coral. You've got. Oh, the Coral. You've got yeah. Snow Patrol, and then you got—you uh, know—I think uh, Killers Hot Fuzz was just released at the end of the year. Yeah. So then that's in 2004. Then you get—I don't know. Uh, Keen, think... Does Keen count? Keen was yeah. They, they sort of count as indie. I always te- I always think the the explosion like that was that was it, it building up, and then the explosion was whatever people say I am. That's what I'm not. Oh, Arctic Monkeys. Then, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that was 2005. Yeah, but it's. It, I think you need that kind of rise of an indie, and then you need a, like a like a flag to say we have landed, we're here. Yes. And that was Arctic Monkeys. Yeah. Like in the 90s, you you had the you, know, you had Suede and Blur in the early 90s, and yeah. then you had boom park life. Yeah. And that was it. We're off. Let's do some Britpop. Yes, um, exactly. And then it kind of faded I'm out. I'm an Oasis one though, so I have to say definitely maybe instead, in case Liam's listening. <laughs> But See, you're I, probably I, right. I, I like both, to be fair. I mean, there's, there's, there's like, which one do you prefer? I'm like, I like both. Oh, They're I like both, good. yeah. But, good. I, but Oasis are in my, in my heart, yeah. <laughs> um, and then 2008, you get Pigeons Detective, Holloways. Um, you get MGMT. Yeah, and, and, and of, the later indie, yeah. yeah. And like, uh, Killers were still around, but they were being kind of electro and different. And a yeah. bit like, stop it, guys. Stop experimenting. Stop it. Yeah, no, we and still then, want the original stuff. Come and on. they finally take the flag down. And the the, fl- the flag taking down song is Kings of Leon, Sex on Fire. Like, oh my God, you're so it's right. It's the end of that genre, end of that scene. Yes. But they're all still, it still kind of goes on, peppered along. They're still like Jamie T and yeah. know, um, the Bl- uh, Blossoms. Still around. Blossoms are, are flying not, the flag, yeah. It's not a scene, though. It's not a big. It's not a thing. No, that's what I mean. So thing. hopefully this could be the start of the indie round three. Come on, guys. Start getting angry and making music again. So, let's talk comedy. Yes. Um, so, you mentioned you grew up in Corby. Yes. When, do you remember the first time you kind of realised, this is what I want to do? Um, no, because I, I haven't done... I, I always absolutely loved comedy. Mm-hmm. I remember when my boyfriend dumped me when I was 15, I went into the living room and me and my dad watched Billy Connolly on VHS. That's showing how old I am. Um, you know, it was, I've always loved it. I've always gone to watch it and I was so in awe of it that I never even thought about doing it. I would have loved to have done it, but and people always said, oh, you're really funny and stuff like that. But I always, always thought, yeah, to my mates. You know, it's a different skill. Mm. Uh, and then my friend, who is a stand-up, tricked me into it. Tricked me into doing a, my first gig by making me write a five-minute set. And he booked me onto a gig without me knowing. How? Um, <laughs> he'd signed me up for a night called Comedy Virgins, which is very good if you're thinking of starting stand-up. It's held in Stockwell, I think, pretty much every night now. It was three nights a week when I first did it. Uh, but it's extremely supportive crowd. You know, if you're rubbish, they're not going to laugh, but they're also not going to boo you off or whatever. Okay. Um, yeah, and I did it and I did all right. And then I sort of ticked it off in my head. 
and I didn't do it again for another one and a half years maybe and then I went away for like three or four months uh, traveling like an absolute knob Uh, and then I came back and I thought oh I've got to try that I've got to give it a real go and then that's when about three gigs in I was like yeah I want to do it so was there a who were your, your, your comedy heroes, even though you weren't doing stand-up at the time? Who were you, yeah. who, who were the people in comedy that you loved? Oh, um, I love, I mean, it's very obvious, I've already mentioned him, but Billy Connolly, Dylan Moran. Uh, I remember watching Bill Bailey part Troll and being like, this is insane, you know, crying with laughter. Um, I used to like things like Smack the Pony. There was, mm. a, there was a sketch show called Spoons, which was great, uh, or Spoon, I can't remember. Um, and I loved sketch comedy, I loved the fast show. Mm. Uh, I loved all those guys. Who else, stand-up-wise, did I love? Would you, would you have liked Big Train? Yeah, I liked Big Train, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, my dad didn't watch that as much, though, so I didn't watch it as much. Because, so, you know, you had one TV then. And <laughs> one remote. Just what? Yeah. 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 I used to watch The Fast Show. I never liked The Office the first time around. I, lo- I liked Ricky Gervais' stand-up, but I, was, I used to cringe too much at The Office, and now mm. I like it. Um, yeah, yeah, I liked Ricky Gervais' early stuff. Um, I think I really don't like his stand-up now, and that's not just because it's the trendy thing to say. I just think he was brilliant in the first two, and then it went off the boil a bit. I think it's I think it's more of a, it's a Stephen Mer- you can t- you can see Stephen Merchant's writing in it. Oh and yeah, you, you I think, love Stephen Merchant. And you think yeah. he, you you brought the funny, but yes. he was like the face of it, and then that's the reason why when Stephen didn't do any doing didn't do any of Ricky's other series, he's like it doesn't work, dude. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. work. It just doesn't work. I know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's bad that they were all men, but there wasn't as many women, I think, that were high profile at that time. But like I say, sketch groups and um, comedy actresses. I loved Chewing the Fat and Still Game, the Scottish yeah. sketch show, and then that Still Game was the spin off. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of TV sketch shows back in the day. Now I'm thinking of it, but I did watch a lot of stand up as well. Um, I don't know when Live at the Apollo started. Oh, I loved Mock the Week when that first came out, and then you finally got that was like a showcase for comedians. Uh, but yeah, I'd say they were my main main influences. And then when you write your st- your material, yeah. is there like a it's, a... it's an old question, but is there like a mood or a mindset you need to be in? Um, no, not really. It's usually with me. I feel really... I'm trying to make myself sit down and write now for specific amounts of time, whether I've got an idea or not, mm. even if it's absolute dross and I never use it, because I think the more you get into that uh, mindset, the the more often things crop up that are decent, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but usually it's honestly something that happens or something someone says that sparks off a whole thing in my head. And I ha- and then I think, oh, that's funny, that could be a bit. Um, and I sort of write down a word of it and then I'll flesh it out. Um, but I am trying to, I'm trying to do that whether I'm in the mood or not, whether I get a spark or not. Okay. That's what I'm trying to change about the way I write because the more you progress and the more you want to do and the more you don't want to repeat yourself, it's kind of like a snowball effect. The more you do it, yeah. you can't almost... It's like can't... a muscle. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so let's talk about the show. Uh, so let's talk about um, Alex versus Men. Yes. Vauxhall Comedy Club. Yes. <laughs> um, where did this idea come about? So the idea started with... In fact, it's our birthday show on the 9th of March, if this has, if this has gone out before then. If not, it was our birthday show on the 9th of March. Uh, but we're there. I'm there every Monday. It's right next to Vauxhall Station. Every Monday, 8 o'clock. It started off with myself and my friend Jamie Allerton, who's a great comedian, uh, who I run a comedy production company with now called What's the Deal Comedy. Myself, him and Hubert Meyer, another comedian. Um, But it was originally Alex versus Jamie because we had this friendship where he would sort of 
Um, even when he was introducing me on stage, he would take the piss out of me instead of bigging me up or yeah. things like that. And we were very close. So we did. We used to do Alex versus Jamie, and it was a team of comedians each week, my team versus his team, and there was forfeits and things. Um, but then Jamie uh, basically got offered loads and loads of gigs and also wanted to uh, relax a bit for a while, uh, which is fair, people do that. So I changed it to, I still wanted to do it, so I changed it to Alex versus Men. So basically they're, it's sort of like, have I got news for you uh, when Angus Deaton left? Uh, now we've just continued uh, having guest hosts every yeah. week, which I really enjoy actually, because it's, it's funny to see people's different MC styles and to get somebody in that, um, you know, they're just like, I mean, the, the MCs know what's going on, obviously, but the crowd get to see, you know, sometimes quite a highbrow comedian, lowbrow, different styles musical comedians uh, but it's great hosting with someone different every week yeah so so going to the Alex versus Jamie what were some of the worst humiliations or forfeits oh um so we had one where the the loser let me get this right the loser had to give the winner a lap dance <laughs> and we did that just thinking you know off the, off the cuff oh that'd be funny and then we thought oh god if I lose then and I have to give Jamie a lap dance, yeah. it's just going to be really creepy and weird. <laughs> and luckily, we sort of said that in the gig. We were like, you know, do you want to see a woman give a man a lap dance like you could see everywhere? Or do you want to... And luckily, yeah, um, I say luckily, I won. But then there is a video, I think it's on my Instagram grid somewhere, um, Jamie uh, is giving me... I'm dressed in a suit with sat on my hands and I'm. he gave me a lap dance and... He got a T-shirt printed with my sister's face on it, <laughs> which he revealed halfway through the sort of semi-strip, yeah. And then there was whipped cream on my face. It was degrading. Um, I think that's probably the worst one that we did. Um, I had to do 100 push-ups during a set Ooh. once. Uh, I had to have some ham strapped to my head, which was a very left-field one. Sometimes we used to throw it out to the audience and suggest forfeits, and they would always shout blowjob, and then we were like, right, we're just going to make up our own. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, so what have been kind of the standout... When I say standout battles, so when it's like you versus another person, yeah. you're saying the highbrow... No, not highbrow. When you're saying the other person is a familiar face, who have been some of the kind of faces? Um... Just thinking back, the hosts probably haven't been big faces, but we have big names to close on, and I always give that to the other host uh, because it's my night, so I want to give them a bit of a um, a bit of an advantage, not advantage, but you know, pe if people come back, they're seeing me all the time, whereas mm. they're seeing someone different. So we've had closing, we've had Tom Ward, Bobby Mayer, Adam Rowe, Sarah Barron. Um, we might, I don't want to jinx it, but we might have someone so so big next month. Um, Please come down on the fifteenth. Can, can you give the initials? I can't. It'll give it away, and I'm not allowed to. But um, but I can say that he's Scottish. Uh, okay, okay. Come down to the club. I feel like there's been a couple. Oh, um, Neil Delamere, who's a huge Irish comedian. We've had him down. Uh, yeah, a few people, but it's been mostly great. And then uh, last year you went to Edinburgh Fringe. Yes. For with the show Sex Question Mark. <laughs> yes. Um, explain this show. Um, so the show was it was a split bill between myself and a comedian called Richard Spalding, who is very funny. And it's kind of if you don't want to do a full hour yet and you want to make it quality over quantity, you mm. can. A lot of comedians call it a two-hander, which kind of sounds apt for our show title. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, so some people just literally go up and you know they split an hour and one does half an hour and then the next comedian does half an hour. But we wanted to make it a sort of full on show and make it feel like it was, I mean, essentially it was just a dressed up two-hander, but it did really well and it was really funny. And the concept was that myself and Rich were mates and we got on really well and we were both single. Um, Should we have sex with each other? And that's what the audience had to vote on at the end of every show during the run. Uh, so I kind of got up and, you know, showcased my baggage, basically my 25-minute set, because we both talk about sex and relationships a lot. And then he did his, or whichever way around, we used to flip a condom on stage to see, <laughs> to see who went first. Um, and, yeah, and then at the end, the audience had to shout, bone or home. Oh, nice. Yeah, and do you know what? I think we only ever, ever got one home. Would you remember where that was or what? Or why? I think it was the London show that we did because in Edinburgh we've got people voted bone every night, including my own mum, which was weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was in London. I think we 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 got home, and I think that's because Rich's family came and they all just didn't want him to have sex. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, so when you was that Sneaky Pete's? Um, Sneaky Pete's was at the Edinburgh run. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So did it start? It started in London, and he went to Edinburgh for a, a bit of a run. We did. Uh, we, well, we we got offered the show really late, so mm. we had the concept and everything, and we thought, oh, we haven't got a venue, we haven't been given one. And then in, I think it was like end of June, we got mm. we got offered a really great spot for yeah. eight nights. Um, Sneaky Pete's on Cowgate, seven p.m. or seven thirty p.m., and we were like amazing. Yeah. But then we had to do it also. We just did a couple of previews in. London and then we did the run in Edinburgh and then we did a show at Two North Down back in London and then we did a Christmas show mm-hmm. called Sex Question Mark Christmas Shagging Bonanza or something <laughs> um, and it was very very loose and it was sort of office Christmas party vibes of what we were going for um, yeah we did new material and we got very drunk but it was a lot of fun oh no it's okay when we're doing the sequel this year that's why mm. I've just had my hair done because we've got our shoot on, uh, ah. on Saturday what, how did London audiences compare to Edinburgh audiences? I think Edinburgh audiences at the show, I don't think you can quantify them because it's, you get different crowds almost every night mm. in the sense that in the week, not, not every night, but essentially we had a run of, I think, yeah, seven or eight shows. I can't remember how much it was. And it built up. So like the Tuesday crowd were, were quite nice. Wednesday crowd were good. Thursday crowd were great. Friday crowd was the worst gig me and Rich have ever, <laughs> ever done in our lives. Honestly, it's like we were doing a, a shit TED talk. It mm. was so bad that I started to become an actor instead of a comedian. And I just thought, you've just got to get through the next 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, and I think that's because it was every single night apart from Friday, it was people that were coming out for comedy specifically. Mm. Whereas Friday, it was maybe more people that were just from Edinburgh Stag on a night out, well. on yeah, yeah, stuff like that, which is fine. But... Um, and me and Rich can, you know, IMC loads of nights every week. But it was it's difficult when the crowd don't really want to be there for comedy, but they've somehow come in. Yeah. Um, and then Saturday was like the best show we've ever done. We got on stage and said hello, mm. and people laughed. And we were like, <laughs> right, this is going to be amazing. Um, but London crowds, I think, I think London crowds are generally good. They're up for anything. They get exposed to arguably the more comedy than, you know, than people in the suburbs that sounds like a criticism I don't mean that what I mean is there's a lot more on offer in cities than there is um, in the burbs but I think Edinburgh audiences are generally pretty good because they, they want to see comedy yeah so w- when I've gone up I've always made sure I, I flip the, the notion of oh, you, go, you go up Friday you come back Monday you turn that around so you go up 
you go up on the Monday, you oh, come, yeah. back, come back on the Friday. Absolutely. You do the, you do, you, so agree. you're going against the grain of yeah. everyone. Um, and because you don't want to go see a show which an audience member is ruining it for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so what is, what is the comedy scene like in London at the moment, would you say? I love it. I think it's great. There's a real sense of, I think as you move out of the circuit or you start to go and support people on tours and stuff like that, I think it must be nice to have your base that you came from. Mm. But I don't, I think you must start feeling slightly more isolated and like at the moment, you know, you gig around London most of the time um, or you're, even if you're gigging in like the clubs in Manchester or something, you'll probably know someone on the bill. Um, It's a real, I found it honestly really, really supportive. I'm quite an upbeat person anyway, but um, I feel like mostly people really support each other. They're really nice. Um, You get offered a lot of gigs. I don't know, maybe I'm just very chatty. But yeah, people, they kind of, they want to see you do well. And then it's great to sort of, I was doing, it's funny, I was doing a YouTube show with another comedian that I sort of knew a little bit this week. And she went, oh, you're like the class below me, aren't you? And I knew what she meant. So it's sort of like, there's a a new crop that start every sort of year to year and a half of people. Yeah. And you all, or not all, but you find your people and your gang and your friends in that. And and then you've got your extended gang that all started at the same time, um, ish. (laughs) And then you've got the people sort of two years ahead of you that are starting to do really well. And you're like, oh, I hope, you know, hope I stick it out till then. I hope I make it. I hope I'm good enough. Um, and then you've got the chance, you know, with my new act, new material on Mondays to be like, oh, the class below. And then pick who you like out of that and get them a spot and give them a leg up the ladder. And, um, I think it's great. There's loads of weird shit going on. There's, there's loads of conventional stuff. There's loads of crap as well. Like, yeah. I mean, as there would be. Um, but luckily the longer you do it the less you have to watch <laughs> rubbish but you, you mentioned the uh, is it the, the two north down yes has that, has that always been there or is that like no a, it's quite new and is, this, is that the same for the Bill Murray Bill Murray is, is great so the Bill Murray is, is one of two venues for angel comedy the other one being the Camden Head in Angel confusingly because there's a Camden Head in Camden as well um so the Camden Head in Angel has comedy on every single night. It's got queues out the door every single night. It's free, pay what you want at the end. Mm. And it's an incredible atmosphere. It's brilliant. They get top people do- down there, you know, doing new material. And then um, two or three comedians, I think, um, I only know one of them for definite, so I won't name them, but uh, they did a Kickstarter to, to create the Bill Murray, which is a pub just, just down the road from the Camden Head in Angel. Um, and it's a, honestly a brilliant pub. It's tiny. It's not done up or anything. It feels a bit like the, an indie vibe, actually. Yeah, it feels. It, it's a very New York theme. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, and it's just a tiny bar that's absolutely rammed in between shows. Especially, please, if you're interested in comedy, come to the Rose Battle up there every Friday at 11 p.m. Every single week, it's free to get in. You just pay what you want on the way out, um, and it's properly raw comedy, like anything goes. And it's just a, it's just a brilliant venue, and they yeah they um, they basically got the money to create it, and I I think it's doing really well. I mean, it's the place to play basically. Yeah. It's kind of it's a weird thing that it's it doesn't promote itself in a big way. It's not like the comedy store where you see posters everywhere. No, it's a very it's like it's it's success is purely on either word of mouth or the fact that people you know in comedy. They're saying, oh, I'm doing a warm-up show or a working yes, progress show at this location. Yeah. It's go, like a hidden gem, but not, if you know what I mean. Yeah. If, it, it, yeah, if, you're, if you've got any interest in comedy, you love it. 
even even just now I was getting my hair done and the hairdresser was like, oh, you're a comedian. And they said, oh, do you ever play the Bill Murray? That's where I go. You know, and they were they were just saying they were a comedy fan. Mm. So um, it is it is brilliant. And you see some absolute amazing shows there you know on the like work in progress shows that you'll be like how has this not got more of a fanfare about yeah. it um so yeah i love it it's great it's a great venue it's like a bottled fringe it's like a tiny little bottle it fringe. it's a little yeah, bottled fringe like it is but it, it's fringe it's edinburgh fringe export that's what it is it absolutely is it's, it's the fringe it's the gibraltar of yeah, the fringe exactly yes <laughs> yeah and i think um, that the, the scene is dispersing a little bit like that somebody said the other day you know the comedy store is obviously we all want to play it um, but it's not the only place now mm. that you're that you're like oh I can't wait to play that you know. But it also is is the comedy store now a bit not a bad not a bad mouth there. It is still legendary, but it's is it where kind of is this where the stag dudes will go, the tourists will go? Yeah, where it's exactly. not necessarily the comedy fans will go. Yeah, I think so. I definitely think Friday and Saturdays would be a tough crowd, but you still want to do it just to. See if you can have can it. Get your stripes, basically, to do it. Get your stripes, yeah. yeah. Basically, get the badge. So we've been talking about the Edinburgh Fringe. So, and I've written, I'm going to write, I'm going to read this exactly the way I've written it. Edinburgh Fringe, 2020. Can you can you talk about it? <laughs> yeah, I think I probably can. We'd, um, I won't reveal the title or anything like that. But uh, myself and Rich are going to do a, a sort of sequel show to Sex Question Mark, which we're, that's what I mean. We're shooting the poster on Saturday. Um, and I'm also doing, which, I, well, yeah, yeah, I tweeted it. I'm also doing a solo show um, for the first time, which will probably be a 40-minute show mm-hmm. um, at South Cider at 7pm, 7, 7 the 8th till the 22nd of August. Now, where is South Cider? South Cider is, uh, it's kind of just off the main, uh, one of the main roads. It's a pub and it's, I'm trying to explain where it is. I think it's um, just off. The road called Southside, maybe? I think it's the, the road with pie maker on it. The one that does the mac and cheese pies, which basically get me through the fringe. Oh, so it's quite, isn't it quite close? To, that's quite close to Cowgate. Yes. I've not been to, I've not been to Southside yet before. Yeah, Hang I think on. I went to a weird random show there three years ago. Um, so that'll, yeah, that'll be my first solo show, but it won't be an hour, which is even better. You can be in and out in 45 minutes. Ah, Southsider is, so it's just off Clerk Street, so it's so it's between George Square Gardens and Pleasant's Courtyard. Yes. Ah, yeah. oh, that's a very good place. Yeah. That's a very good spot. I don't know how I got that, but it, it's happening. Um, so yeah, that that's what, that. those are the two shows I'll be doing, plus probably some compilation shows. And are you there for the whole run as well? Probably not. I'm 8th to the 22nd is my show, so I'll probably stay up till 23rd, 24th. Um, so two and, a, two and a bit weeks. And so the, this podcast started at the Edinburgh Fringe about the Fringe itself and how shows put together. Yeah. What are you and Rich doing to make that sequel show? What do you mean in terms of like, uh, the, how we're the, prepping? And the stuff? prepping, the writing process, the ideas. What, how, where are you? Where, where did the idea come from to do? Right, we're going to do a sequel to Sex Question Mark. Oh, okay. Well, we we just we loved the idea of that, and we wanted to work together again because we're quite. Um, I'm a bit uh, scattered, and but I really love doing all the promo mm-hmm. and all the fun that comes with that, and and I love writing the show. But uh, Rich is a very... He makes you feel very safe. <laughs> He's a very calm guy. Yep. And a uh, fantastic comedian. I mean, really, like, cra- genuinely cracks me up. I mean, when we were sat writing 
because how it works is we come on stage together, did a sort of semi-scripted bit, yeah. uh, and then we would flip and see who went first, and then switch over and then do a bit at the end, which wasn't really scripted. Um, and even when we were sort of writing that script on a Google Doc, sat opposite each other, you know, so you can see the other person writing in light in real time. Um, you know, I was cracking up at what he was writing. So we, that's how we write the bits that we do together. And then we we work on our own stand-up kind of separately. Yeah. We don't really collaborate on that. Um, we would suggest little things to each other, but we don't we don't really uh, collaborate on that. And then we are going to be way more organised with previews this year. <laughs> We're going to do about five or six previews uh, in London, all around London. Maybe one in Liverpool. Do you know where? That venue will be this year in Edinburgh for that show. We are still we're still waiting for that. Okay. So um, when I know, I will. If I know before this goes out, I'll be like, <laughs> tack this on the end. Uh, yeah, but it's really strange. I don't know how uh, they work it because you they do it all in sort of phases. Like I applied for my solo show as an afterthought after m- myself and Rich applied, and I got yeah. that first. So I don't know. Do you have the name for that solo show yet? Yeah, but it's not it's not one hundred percent definite. No, okay, that's fine. Um, that's fine. But it's to do with tights. I'll say hmm. that. That sounds really wanky, doesn't it? I'll say it like that. <laughs> I don't mean like because of my show so important. I can't tell you the title. It's just because I definitely I haven't definitely decided on it yet. And is is the ti- oh I was gonna say I was gonna say is the title because that, that that comes up a lot of how important is the title for a show and you just throw the title out and then figure out afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the the weird thing is the idea for this title, which I am pretty sure I'm going to go with it. Um, the idea that for this title came from a drunk. WhatsApp voice message mm-hmm. that my friend's boyfriend sent me once about describing me and it was so funny and I thought is this really is it, are only women going to get this because it's a reference to tights okay. um, but, I, but the whole point of the show is that oh I can't I, I, <laughs> it's kind of, yeah it's kind of about um, what sort of woman you are based on tights which sounds really shit <laughs> but it's basically going to be the usual crap that I spurt on stage just loosely tied together with a pair of tights so what would you say is probably the best way for someone starting in comedy in London yeah where would they need to start if they want to perform okay uh, so as I mentioned already Comedy Virgins is a really great night you get a big audience a lot of things people say when they started including me when I said to my friend I was like oh, I hope there's not many people there and he said, no, 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 the bigger the audience, the better. Honestly, mm-hmm. there's so much psychology with comedy, it's unreal. Like, that's why you need a spotlight. You need people to be in darkness because they don't want other people to see them laughing. If you've got a light room, you're not going to get as much laughter. Yeah. People are very self-conscious. They want to be anonymous when they're laughing. They want to be packed into a small space and they don't want to be seen. So that's when you're going to get the most honest reaction from them. Yeah. And that's when you're going to get the best reaction from them as well. And that's why you do a lot of comedy nights, especially corporate things and stuff, where the money's great, but the atmosphere is awful, the room is bad. There's nothing conducive to comedy in it. Yeah. And you're saying to the person, like, this isn't how you run a comedy night, please let me help you. And they usually go, no, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. You're like, yeah. okay. Um, I would say start at Comedy Virgins. There's a great night called Funny Feckers, uh, run by a guy called Wes Dalton, which has just changed venues. I think it's now at Daffodil Mulligan, which is a very posh mm. Irish restaurant on City Road. It was at the Constitution in Camden, which they closed about two weeks ago, mm. uh, really suddenly, and I think the staff um, were put out a bit, which is really sad because it was a great, proper old-school Camden boozer. Uh, but he runs a, there was a couple, there's a couple of nights. If you, if you Google Funny Feckers, you'll see that. Just basically good open mics like that. What else? Oh, come down and do my night at Vauxhall on Monday. Um, I do... I generally don't put you on if you're brand new because I think on a, on a Monday night people if they're coming out specifically they want to see 
Um, I don't mean you're not good. What I mean is I want to check that you're good first. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> um, but I'm, I, I always give a couple of spots to, to new people. Um, and then people who are doing new uh, new material, or and then we usually have a big headliner, like I say. You've got that kind of uh, sort of target or destination gig to aim for. Yeah. Basically. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but any, but Vauxhall Comedy runs um, open mic Monday to Thursday again with usually with um, big names trying out new stuff as well. And then on Friday they do the Pro Night Bottomless Booze, which I've played, which is a great really good fun like a really brilliant gig um so drop drop in there it's right next to Vauxhall station it's brilliant um and then I run oh I run pro nights now so probably probably not for people starting out but come along uh <laughs> check all check all my socials and you can see them so this is the question which I know I wrote I wrote it and I thought even I know the answer to this question yeah. I feel it's like I don't answer the question don't ask the question I'm gonna prefix this with this is a terrible question Okay. Um, what do you prefer doing? A 20 minute stand up set or emceeing? Um, t- 20 minute stand up set. Yeah. Is that what you knew? The uh, question, yeah, the that's what I was going to be. I, do, I love emceeing though. I, um, I ne- and I never thought I would. Mm. I started doing it because I did Alex versus Jamie. And so I used to, be think, I used to think, well, I'm only emceeing one half. It's not that bad. Mm. But now, if, if you asked me if I wanted to do to MC a great gig or um, or do an average 20 minute set it would be it close. would be close yeah, yeah. Um, I should say by the way if you're starting out in comedy please uh, come to the what's the deal night that we run at the stag's head in Hoxton twice a month because uh, the boys will kill me if I don't say that <laughs> so and also uh, school for dumb women yes is that kind of that's rested or is that over is that well actually I can I can tell you now if it's, it's semi-exclusive we're doing a comeback show next week awesome. um, which I think you can if this goes out in the future we're doing it on the 3rd of March um, for International Women's Day which is my birthday so women have stolen my thunder the bastards um, <laughs> uh, yeah so we're doing a, sh- a show on Soho Radio on the 3rd at 4pm I think or 3pm I should know that uh, but you can listen to it afterwards. So, yeah, we're, we're going to do a comeback. And then I think we're going to, rather than do one a week the whole time, we're going to do series of six episodes at a time and then have a break, which I think will make it better. I think it's quality over quantity. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's the way the podcasting has kind of gone now. It's it, it used to be, it was a weekly thing. You did it every week and yeah. you have to do it every week. Yeah. And now it's more, I'm going to do 10. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. It. Yeah. I think that's right. And that's, and I think that's probably better. Like when we started doing it, like you say, it was, you know, do it same time so, yeah, every week. Um, but now we've got a nice little following and it's, it's actually been really nice to, since we stopped doing it, loads of people have come up to us and been like, oh, I really miss it. And, you know, stroke our ego, please. Sounds nice. What was the origins of that? That was um, myself, Hannah Varrell, and Caroline O'Donoghue, who do the podcast. We used to all work at a online women's media site that oh, you, you could probably find it out very quickly, but um, I won't name it. But um, and it was very new age, very very feminist, which is great. Uh, but some of the stories we ran were just fucking ridiculous, um, like our storms, sexist, and stuff like that. That's the most extreme example I can think of. Yeah, things like that. I don't know if we ever actually ran that, but that was definitely an idea at a meeting. And uh, and there was all these events for, like, smart women and how to be a smart woman and, um, you know, business events for business women and smart-minded and strong leaders. And one day I just was like, what about all the dumb women? 
yeah. what, what's the stuff for them? And then we just, uh, we sort of had like a mini, mini rebellion WhatsApp group that turned into the podcast <laughs> where we just um, kind of took the piss out of feminism, which I think is the ultimate sign of equality. I hate the fact that all Father's Day cards are taking the piss out of guys and all Mother's, Mother's Day cards, this is the example I always use, are like, your mum is a sparkly reindeer and she's so beautiful and pretty and isn't she amazing? Thanks, mum. And all the dad ones are jokey. Like, you can take the piss out of women as well, you know? Yeah. That's, that's, you know, some of us are absolute twats. <laughs> so where, where, would you, where would you hope to be in, like, five years' time? Five years' time on a Caribbean <laughs> island? No. Um, <laughs> no, five years' time, all I would want is to be making a decent, like, a livable amount all on stand-up, writing comedy scripts and stuff like that. Um, all I want to... Honestly, all I want to do is make money having fun and making people laugh. That I know that sound, the last bit sounds cheesy in American, but I just think... You know, look at the news, it's horrible. Um, and there's definitely, definitely a time for pathos and poignancy and seriousness and all of that. But if I can help with taking people out for an hour and making them laugh and giving them a good time, then that's all I want to do. I don't, my ambitions aren't that specific, just that I just want to keep doing stand-up and uh, make a living doing, doing funny stuff, basically. Um, writing, podcasting, doing stand-up. Whatever, whatever it is, yeah. Just doing the things that you enjoy and just, just sort of like just putting it out there so other people enjoy it. Basically. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. yeah. Um, so we come to the section which hasn't hasn't been, been given a title since the previous season. Uh, I called it Comedy Connection. Yeah. And it's basically it's a question from a person in comedy from the previous episode asking a question Ooh. to this to a person in comedy in this episode. Oh, okay. And someone said, "Oh, you mean like Radio Force Chain Reaction?" I'm like, yeah. damn it. Um, <laughs> Still a good idea. It is, yeah. Uh, so it's from Suze Kempner. Oh, yeah. Um, and this is Suze's questions to you. Hello. You perform regularly to many different audiences and you're also on social media. Do you have fans who are a bit over familiar and how do you deal with them when they show up at your shows? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I would say there's there's some people now, yeah, that come to my shows because they they've seen me on social media or they like me or they're just comedy fans and they think, oh, these people are good and I get to see them cheap, you know, um, around London. But I I feel bad because there's this there is this paranoia at the moment, you know, of. Um, if somebody's really keen on social media, you're like, oh, are they a creep or whatever. Um, but I generally have found people are really nice. And sometimes you find yourself being a bit paranoid and then you're like, no, this is what I'm doing this for. They're, they're coming to my shows and they're being supportive and it's great. So I haven't had to deal with, touch wood, anybody that's, that's sort of over familiar, if you like. I think if people take an interest, it's great at the moment. And I've, if they did get too over familiar or weird, then I would address it, but... Um, no, in general, the people that have come to my shows because they've seen me on social media or whatever have all been really lovely. I hope it doesn't get to the over-familiar weird stage. And uh, there's a sea change. Now, if you are being a creep online, people will call you out. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So I think it's much less common because people think, oh, well, they could just screenshot this. Mm. And so finally, what have you learned? Fuck all. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've learned through doing comedy, I've learned a lot about people's psychology, I think. Um, I've learned, yeah, like tiny little micro behaviors now seem more prominent to me in everyday life as well as comedy. Um, the way that people react to things. Um, I think it starts making you look at people's characters more. I think it, I think it makes you a better judge of character um, in general life. Mm. I don't know whether that's the same for everybody. Certainly not with my love life, probably. But, um, but I think, uh, in general, I think it's also made me a bit more empathetic. Uh, and I've only just thought of that right now as I said it. But I think when people are starting to act a bit differently or a bit strangely, you're seeing people do it as an actor or on stage or you're seeing audiences act strangely or you're like, why didn't that joke work? And then something will come to you where you think, oh, it's because I bigged myself up too much before it or whatever the reason is because you don't want a comedian to big themselves up. The punchline doesn't land as well. You've got to pad the self-deprecation landing for yourself in order for them to laugh. Things like that. And it makes you, I think look at why somebody is acting the way they are in real life uh, as well. Um, so I think it's made me, I've, I've learnt, yeah, I've learnt a lot about people, about their behaviour, about their reaction, about why they react to things the way they do. I've learnt, hopefully, how to be funny. I've learnt definitely how to adapt my set as I'm on stage. Mm-hmm to different crowds, which when you start out, you do not do that. You're just like, here is the script, and if you don't laugh, I'm just gonna get through it, and oh my God, I'm on stage, and thank God I've done it. Um, I've also learned to embrace and enjoy hecklers. Mm. When I started out, if there was somebody being mouthy in the audience and I was waiting to go on, I'd be like, oh God, please don't mouth off in my set because I can't handle it. And not not even that you can't handle it in terms of you're going to shut down, but just you, you have to ignore it a bit and then the audience is nervous for you and they lose faith in you. Yeah. And then they are on edge. The audience has to be complete. The audience has to look at you and be like, if someone started shouting your shit, yeah. this girl, woman, man, whatever, would be totally fine. They have to feel completely relaxed in your presence when you're on stage. So now when someone's being mouthy I can't wait to get on and I hope they say something <laughs> uh, I might regret saying that on a podcast might I but um but yeah it's I your, love taking them on it's yeah. your territory isn't it you've yeah. got the mic this is, like, this is this is your time yeah eventually it, it flips just one day you're just like oh yeah I can't wait to get on you're like whoa I used to be terrified of that so I've learned not to be terrified I've learned that don't freak out like nothing really matters too much like you're not a doctor you're not got somebody's life in your hands um, if you want to start it, just start it. But the advice my dad gave me, he was really encouraging, and he just said, which sounds like the most obvious thing in the world, and he just said, if things don't change, they'll stay the same. And I was like, yeah, if you, if you never do it, someone's not going to hand you a mic. I mean, my friend literally did hand me a mic and trick me into a set, <laughs> so that is really bad um, to say. But just do it, and if you don't like it or if you're shit, like, who cares? Yeah. It was five minutes of your life. Or it could be could take over your life like me so you met you say that it's behavior on stage from people's what's the word reactions reactions or, yeah. yeah is it kind of like along the is it along the lines of you're putting yourself out there in sections in some ways like you have the intro you have the sort of the main bit but then the audience sees you as this one story 
Yes. Mm. Yeah, that is that is kind of true. They see... It's, it's fascinating to me, and it's weird, because obviously the more you're in the comedy bubble, the more you know how comedy works and how, it, how you write stuff and how you perfect it and work in progresses and things like that. But the majority of people will still say to me, like, oh, do you do, do, you do something different on stage every time? Mm. Or they'll say, I went to see so-and-so, and, you know, or they'll see somebody on the comedy circuit, and they did the same material twice. And you're like, yeah, that's... That's how it works. If, you, if we did everything once, we'd be crap. <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, it is quite weird because, the, I mean, the best comedians are the ones that make those audiences think they've just come on stage and they've just started rambling. They're just talking. And also, I find the best comedians, and this is what I try and do, the best comedians segue so, so easily that you, you can't remember how they got talking about bananas or whatever um and now they're talking about their boyfriend and now they're talking about traffic it's it's really i mean honestly i it's also really funny when a comedian just stops and does another bit and they don't feel the need like both extremes i think are a skill because some comedians will finish a joke and then they'll go so i was on telly the other day or something like that and you don't and it doesn't feel like they're struggling whereas when you start off yeah you're trying to really join everything together and like speaking of a traffic jam i was eating a banana in a traffic jam the other day i'm just using that example again (laughs) don't know why yeah um you're so conscious of it flowing but i think the best comedians yeah it's just it's just flowing from one to the other and you're also seeing what audience audiences react to sometimes you're waiting backstage or wherever and you're seeing that they're really not going for rude stuff or crude stuff or extreme stuff and you're like right take that out my set start with the bit the the fluffy stuff the bit more generic see how they go um and then you're seeing how they react to that and then then that's where you craft your little story like beginning middle end which you can only do i think once you've gigged a lot because you have to have bits to pick and choose from and you have to not be afraid to go off piste and improv a bit and you mentioned you mentioned about so when people change their set or they react to a they react to something in the audience yeah. and they change their set into a different speed or into a different gear. Yeah. How is how do they do that basically? Um I think it's all honestly experience mm. and it's all about how the more comfortable you feel on stage the sharper you are. So the the less you're thinking about I remember like the first few gigs and you can still tell when someone's not been doing it that long they don't move the mic stand out of the way. And that's a, that's a thing to me that shows they haven't been doing it that long because you're so concentrated on what you're going to say yeah. that you... I remember thinking like, oh my God, what am I going to do with my hands? I'm going to have to put my right hand on the mic to take it out and then I'm going to have to move my left hand and move the mic, try and move the mic stand. And, you know, it's weird things like that. And the more and more com- comfortable and confident and relaxed you are on stage, the sharper you are because that's what you're like in the pub with your mates because yeah. you don't give a shit if they like you or not. And that's the stage you get to with comedy as well and what happens if say somebody shouts something out or they heckle you and you deal with it and you smash it they might their heckle might have been to do with the subject that you've got a bit about and the more you've written the more likely that is or the more likely you can tie it into that and then you can go do you know what actually speaking of that and then it looks like you've just come up with it off the cuff yeah Yeah, yeah. and that's where if you want to be i i do actually think if you want to be a better comedian mc a gig because you've got to go up there kind of blank and you just talk to people. Like when I started emceeing and when I see people start to emcee, they go up there and they do five minutes of material, they do a set and they maybe chat to the audience a little bit and then they relate it, you know, they can say, are you in a couple? 
Uh, and if they say yes or no, they've got a bit about being single or in a couple. Yeah. Um, which is, honestly, that's fine. That's how ev- absolutely everybody does it. And of course, that's better than you like freaking out on stage and being like, oh, what's your name? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, the more you MC and the more stuff you write and the more comfortable you are on stage, the more that everything is sparking off, linking to something. Yeah. And it makes it look more and more off the cuff. It's like a flow chart of comedy. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and sometimes you can't change a gig. Sometimes there's nothing changing it and they're not responding. And, you know, it doesn't go that well. But you've got you to gotta just try your best, basically. Alex, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was a lot of fun. Thank you.